Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on a special. Uh, I think everything's burning in Seattle edition of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am joined as I am every single Wednesday afternoon by Fangraphs John Taylor. John, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I am doing well. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I'm doing better than Mariners fans today. I think um, you were you were setting off some tweets last night, John Taylor, about uh, Seattle and our our old friend Jerry Depoto. Uh, would you like to illuminate on what has transpired in Seattle, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh over the last 24 hours? Sure. So, I mean the the Pittsburgh part of it is is the funnier part, but so you got the Mariners trading for. Trading away Kendall Graveman, their closer, for Abraham Toro, who is basically a utility guy for the Astros. They gave a good reliever to their direct divisional competition a day after a really big win. Uh, Jerry Depoto going on about how this move is part of a is part of a series of moves. It's not the only move. It'll make more sense after the next move. And then they trade for Tyler Anderson from the Pirates after an earlier deal by the Phillies for Tyler Anderson had fallen apart because of, I believe, a prospect had bad medicals or something. So I guess that was the other shoe waiting to drop. Uh, I can't really say it's much of a shoe. Uh, I, I really, really hope that there's more to come from the Mariners. I know a lot of reporters have said the Mariners are looking to buy more, but at the same time, Man, man, what a depressing trade for the Mariners! What a depressing existence for the Mariners! I, I just look at that deal like I just don't get it at all. But if you're, if least. you put yourself in Jerry Depoto's shoes, if you had to, if you had to do that, and I don't want to advise it, folks, what would you, what would you guess, is his rationale here? What would you guess? So I am assuming that. Oh, sorry, I was going to say. I am assuming that he is looking to add another reliever in place of Graveman, and that this move was about moving some salary around while also getting a piece for next year who helps if, if for example, the, the Mariners decide to let Kyle Seeger walk and maybe they have Toro become their starting third baseman. But, yeah, it... it I, I I I don't I don't get I don't even get it with that because why it, it, it's one thing if you're going to give up a reliever who is set to be a free agent and who you believe is over overperforming and you're getting a piece back who's going to be on your team not just this year but the next year and is helpful in that regard that's a trade that makes sense and you can argue you know is this what that trade is on in a bubble in a vacuum I think you probably could get a little better than that for Kendall Graveman but whatever that that's not the important thing. To me, the important thing is that you traded him to Houston, the team directly in front of you in the division. And even if even if Seattle's chances at the division are small, and even if their playoff odds are bad, and even if their Pythagorean record suggests that they're really a below 500 team as opposed to an above 500 one, is that really the move you want to make if you're Jerry Depoto? To, especially given how badly it seemed to piss off the entirety of the clubhouse, you're going to send your good closer to your division competition. For not your good, for not a good closer, you already had a good closer. 
Why, why not just... Why, why are you subtracting to make an addition? I know it's the most Jerry DePoto shit to do that, but it's like, it just doesn't... It is so divorced from the reality on the ground with the Mariners and what that team has done, what that player, what that group of players believes it can accomplish, what that fan base is hoping for. I don't think anyone in the Mariners, I don't think any Mariners fan thinks realistically that this team is a World Series contender, barring an incredible deadline that just changes everything. And that seems unlikely. I don't think you were going to find any any Mariners fans who were seriously talking themselves into that. I do think Mariners fans thought that this team could be a contender, if nothing else, for at least a wild card spot. And maybe this is a team that finally breaks that playoff drought and gets in. And yeah, maybe it's just the playing game, and maybe they get wiped out by the Rays or the Red Sox or, or whoever it is that make or the, or the the A's or whoever. That does that shouldn't matter. And and I get it. Like the ideal trade, you make your team you make your team better this year and next year. And I think that's what Depoto thinks he has done. But it's just the the reality of how it happened and the way in which it happened, and especially the embarrassment of there are more moves coming, and then the next mer- the next move is El- like Tyler Anderson, who's fine. Tyler Anderson is fine. But you you can't make a move like that and then say bigger things are coming, and then the next move is we just got the Pirates' fourth starter after the Phillies decided they didn't want to trade for him. You you just look like an ass. I, that that's the thing. Like I, I, the value of this deal, on a again in a vacuum, you know, like on a you know, purely if you look purely at the numbers, this deal makes sense for Seattle. But beyond those numbers, this deal makes, it, it makes sense for Seattle in a, and even I fully sense it makes some sense for Seattle. With the context of where this team is and who Graven got traded to and all that other stuff, it makes no sense at all. Even with Tyler Anderson coming in and even... It, it, it puts the Mariners in position, too. They have to do something big now these next two days. And that's not been what the Mariners have been, even under DePoto. Not in a while, anyway. So, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. I get it, but I don't get it. And... I just feel bad for Mariners fans that even when they make a trade that ostensibly makes some sense, it still comes in this fashion and in this way. Do you think this is as much of a head scratcher if it's not to an to the Astros, like or the A's? Like if this no, is, I think yeah. I think if this had been like they trade Kendall Graveman to I don't know the the Mets for for some piece. I think it still doesn't look great because it's like, why are you giving up your closer when you're a game out of a playoff spot? But I think it understands, well, at least you're not giving him up to your direct competition and for as much as, you know, Toro doesn't really... I, I think the other part of it is Graveman helps you more now than Toro does, which I think is why you saw the Astros make that move. Yeah, Toro's a guy who's still got however many years of team control left, two or three or, or whatever it is, and can help, you know, now in the future, but the Astros need relief help more than they need a random utility guy. And so that's what they did. And I think in the same vein, it's like if you're the if you're the Mariners, what is the argument that you need a utility guy for now and next year more than you need a closer who's already good? Like even beyond Depoto possibly selling high on Graveman. Again, what message does that send to your the rest of the team and to your fan base that your own GM is like, yeah, like we're only a game out of a playoff spot, but we don't have a chance of making that. And also, this closer is not actually as good as we think he is, so we're getting rid of him. 
I don't know. I, I, I just I, I do think it would have been different had they sent him to a different team, but I think just sending him to Houston is really what makes it just all the more incomprehensible because it's you're you're not just saying our playoff odds aren't good enough. You're then actively making them worse. And playoff odds don't need to be the be all end all. I think they're they're just a nice they're they're a marker point, you know? They're not they're not the be all end all, but I, I just don't understand the idea of like if you're if you're basing what you're gonna do on, you know, in part on if you're basing what you're doing in part on what the odds or what the math says your playoff odds are, fine. But why would you then make them worse and your direct competitor better? You, I mean, do the Mariners really love Abraham Toro that much? I, I guess, but it just feels like I don't know. Again, it just feels it just feels tone deaf in 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 a way that I think Jerry Depoto often is, but really I, I think especially you know for it, I think this also would have been different if the Mariners were five games out of a playoff spot rather than one, you know, or if they hadn't just had that big uh, come from behind win the day before. So yeah, I I I, I think that's. I, I think that does make all of that does make a huge difference, and it makes it it just makes it hard to evaluate that trade even as a, a just on a, in terms of a player swap because it, it's one of the things. Where it's like Seattle, what are you doing, and why? Why are you doing this? It's a tradition unlike any other. Seattle, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Twenty years, what are you doing? Why are you doing? <laughs> what and why are you doing always? Oh, poor Seattle fans, man. But, like, we've talked about this whole podcast. We're like, yeah, it's probably still not going to happen. But it's still... I didn't peg DePoto as the the GM who would make the most cynical trade deadline move, though. I don't think either of us saw that coming, right? Not necessarily. I mean, it is it is a Jerry DePoto thing to make moves regardless of, like, you know... He is not... He's very clearly not a sentimental general manager. Um, But, yeah, it's... It, 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 I, I don't like. Th- I guess that's the thing. This is an insanely cynical trade, and mm. for as much as maybe we didn't see Depoto, I don't think we really saw this coming out of. It's it, it said something like the Marlins just made their trade for Starling Marte, and they gave up Jesus Lizardo, which is huge. It's incredible, or the or the A's rather gave up Jose Jesus Lizardo, which is an insane pay for not insane, but it's a really you know it's a, it's a real big pay for for an, uh, a free agent outfielder, but. When the Marlins aren't being as cynical as you are, when the Marlins are out there being like, no, we want to get a fair, like, I mean, great, it's easier for them. They're not in the playoff picture and they're nowhere near it. And so they can just make, they can sell off whatever they want. But when they're getting a better return um, than you are and you're a team in the playoff chase, that just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, does it? No. No. Uh, Well, let's get into the the Marlins ace trade because it's fascinating. It's not very often you get a lefty, what is he, 23? 25, I believe Luzardo is. He's very young. I thought he was younger than that. I, I thought he was like 23. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, he is, in fact, 23. He turns 24 in September. Okay. Um, just crazy. But also, I think the the Marlins are paying for the remainder of Marte's. Yes, Marlins are paying the remainder. This is Which is the only way an A's Marlins trade <laughs> could have happened is that one of these cheapskate teams just had to eat the money. It yeah. really, it really did feel kind of like a immovable object, unstoppable force. Like which of these cheapskate <laughs> teams will want to like is going to be like, no, you have to eat money. <laughs> but 
No, I mean, it makes sense. Like, the Marlins ate the entirety of that salary in order to get Lazardo, which is crazy because there wasn't that much of that salary left. I believe it was about mm-hmm. $4 million or so that Miami ate. So, yeah, and, and I mean, it, it's it's interesting. Like, it's I, just looking through Twitter now, it looks like the, Yan- the Marlins were asking the Yankees for Anthony Volpe, who is one of their top prospects, a shortstop, and they more or less said no. Um, but they obviously said no. So it's interesting that Marlins actually got someone to bite on their price of we want a, a cost-controlled young player in exchange we'll pick up all of Marte's salary. I really didn't see the A's being one to do that. And it's really fascinating how far Luzardo has fallen in their eyes. Uh, this is a guy who, when the season started, they, you know you were thinking he's going to be end up being their number one starter. and said he's getting dumped for two and a half months of Starling Marte. And which is not to say that Starling Marte is bad, but boy, I, I think there must be something up with Luzardo that, yeah, I, some, something something has clearly happened with Luzardo and the A's where they feel like this is not a relationship worth continuing, which I find confusing because I've never gotten any sense that Luzardo is a bad person. The only thing we've seen this year that's just been kind of worrisome is that, I mean, beyond his poor performance is that he broke his hand and seems like a fit of video gaming peak. Mm. Um, he was terrible when he came back. He's been in AAA. I mean, maybe the maybe the A's just feel like there is something wrong and different now with him and they just don't want to work on it anymore. But that still is an extraordinary amount to pay. Again, for two months of what is a very good player, but a very good player who's also almost... there's no, If the Marlins weren't going to re-sign uh, Starling Marte, then the A's certainly aren't. That's the other thing. It's like, this is 1,000% a rental, which makes me think that the A's really, you know, the A's are really going for it in a sense, which I find (laughs) almost weirder than what the Mariners are doing. Yeah, the A's, I don't know. I I was more optimistic about the A's, I think, coming in the year than you were, but like, I mean, they're going for it, like, but also their outfield was just horrid all year long. They had to do yeah, something. Yeah, like they had to do something about that outfield because Ramon Laureano is pretty much the only Ramon Laureano and Robbie Grossman is pretty much all they have, and that 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 won't work long term. No, so I I think this is just more like a band aid. It doesn't really solve anything. It doesn't really move the needle. It doesn't make me think they have a better shot of really running the table in October. But I do think it's a positive. Starling Marte is going to to help them more in 2021 than Jesus Lazardo would help them, and also. The flip side of this, from Miami's perspective, I think is more interesting, which is that, like, it's just another young, high, high upside arm in this in this core, potentially. Yeah, like, this, Miami, this Miami rotation, if everyone is healthy next mm-hmm. year, is Rogers, Alcantara, Lazardo, Sixto Sanchez, and uh, who, who am I forgetting in there? I mean, you can add whoever. Wade LeBlanc? Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. But they they have more young pitching beyond that. They have Edward Cabrera down in the minor, Eduardo Cabrera down in the minors, who's a very good young pitcher. They have, um, but yeah, like ev- everyone we've mentioned already, that rotation alone, you can build a rotation with just that alone, just absolutely crazy. It's oh, it's, I forgot Pablo Lopez. Yes. So like, there you go: Luzardo, Sanchez, Alcantara, Rogers, Lopez. Mm-hmm. All of those guys healthy at once, that's the best young rotation in baseball. Yeah. They're terrifying. Like, the the Marlins are absolutely terrifying. So, I, I like this a lot from Kim NG. Um, is it Nij? Need? How do you pronounce it? I always niche. get... Niche. Okay. Um, 
it's interesting um and you know Marte will be good i think this is like one of those rare ones like outside of the jokes about the formula and i think this is good for both sides and it makes sense for both no, sides. It, makes, it makes a ton of sense for both sides the a's need another outfielder the marlins wanted a young cost controlled piece i i do wonder for the marlins at some point they really do need to start adding offensive pieces um and maybe that's something in the offseason maybe they do use some of that pitching depth they have to make a move for a young cost controlled hitter because that offense really, really is a struggle, and Marte was far and away the best hitter currently on it. And obviously he wasn't going to be a part of the future because Miami had already decided he was too expensive for their for their future plans. But, you know, and, and yeah, great. Like, Jazz Chisholm was hurt when he's healthy. Obviously that makes a difference, and they should get better going forward out of Jesus Sanchez. And, you know, they just called up Lewin Diaz. They have Isan Diaz. They have... You know, they, they have guys on that roster who you expect better out of. The problem is, you know, they're still, you know, some of those guys are hurt. Obviously, they're not going to get it this year. And they still need to add some of that depth next year because this farm system is very pitching oriented. Um, and, and, and I don't know, maybe maybe if they continue selling, it makes sense the Marlins are probably going to continue selling. I assume Hayes' Aguilar might bring back an interesting bat of some kind. Um I mean, I'm kind of struggling to see what else the Marlins could realistically move that might get them something back. I don't think Adam Duvall is gonna is gonna bring much. I'm not sure if they want to move Yimmy Garcia. Maybe they can get a decent piece for him. Um, but yeah, it's Marte was obviously their big piece, and they obviously did very well in getting who they got in in Luzardo. At the very least, gives them another another rotation depth piece for next year. And yeah, and, and maybe at some point they do use, like I said, that that surplus of young pitching they now have to go get a hitter because that that I think that's really what the Marlins need next. As you, we know we've seen it a couple years in a row now that offense is just not particularly strong. They need to get better and they need to get uh, some guys they can kind of count on for uh, for the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to move to the Orioles real quick John what is a podcast with you and I if we don't talk about the the Baltimore Orioles that's uh, not it's not a real thing I didn't think so either um they had a good weekend and um it was their first three game home sweep of its regional rivals in 11 years with wow. the Nationals like that's insane um they won on a walk off uh fielder's choice it's a great great ending on Sunday but um they have options and I am happy that it looks like they are going to take the non-cynical approach and keep their, their M&Ms, their m and m and ms Say that really fast. Means. They're mmms. They're mmms. That's what we can go with. Okay, I'm going to stop there because it's just going to, everyone has stopped listening at this point. Um, John Means, Cedric Mullins, and Trey Mancini. Yes. Um, I am hopeful that they keep all three. No, I mean, would I love the Braves I, I don't, to trade? I don't see any reason for them to move any of those three unless they get blown away with an offer because two of those guys are in Mullins. Mullins is a guy you build around. Means is a little on the older side, but is definitely a guy you build around. And Mancini, the, the, the sheer PR hit that the Orioles... It, the Orioles, I think, like the Mariners, tend to operate managerially in a vacuum, or at least front office-wise in a vacuum, where they don't really care what their moves mean to the fans, the rest of the team, anyone. But Mancini, coming after doing what he's done, coming back, no. I, I, there has to be a limit somewhere. 
And I think for as much as maybe Orioles, the Orioles front office thinks if we moved Mancini, we actually could get something good back. I think even they have to understand our fans might kill us if we do this. What few fans are left might kill us if that's the route, if that's the road we go down. They were pretty excited for that walk off. Fans were there and they're they're pumped. It was something nice. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like you, at some point, you have to give your fans a, if not a crumb, which sounds very shitty, you have to give them something. And trading away Trey Mancini is taking it all away. Even if you were to land a Lizardo type return, like you're telling your fans, this popular player you love, who came back from this grueling cancer diagnosis, who worked hard, who clearly loves being here and loves the Orioles and loves the fan base and loves the city of Baltimore. Yeah, we got rid of him go to hell because <laughs> that's basically what you're saying when you yeah. make a move like that go to hell go O's. we know there are two months left in the season we don't care if you guys like them or not which granted has been the tanking team thing for a while now but mm-hmm. like, I, I think even with the orioles there have to be limits and i think that has to be one of those limits um on the flip side the other dc team all kind of a mess right now. It looks like the Nationals are they're out of it. It's now the big three in the NL East with the the Phillies, the Braves, and the Mets uh, duking it out down the stretch here. Um, the Nationals with Carter Keboom, Kaiboom, Keboom, Kaiboom, um, not starting the season with the team. It's been demoted twice. Sitting pretty well. Triple A, getting more comfortable moving from short to third, but um, there's a there's a quandary there. Like Starling Castro is not coming back for obvious reasons this year uh, mercer did not work out it's just a just a big hole there at third and then you you wonder like max scherzer who's apparently um okay with opening up his no trade clause um but he would prefer to go out west because that's he would like to that's where he would sign a long-term deal the next deal is out west so if you trade him to the white Sox or something like he's probably not gonna resign um yes. It's interesting. What what do you make of what the Nationals should do at third? Because they could really, really go after Chris Bryant, which is they've been linked to in the last week. And, you know, hey, we can figure it out. Uh, but Strasburg now gone for the year with TOS. And he's had a lot of injuries. And there's it's a mixed bag on pitchers who have had this. I think Yami Garcia's had it. There's been a handful of different guys who've had it. But um, the results sometimes are not great. Um, he had carpal tunnel, like Steven Trasberg just might be an injury guy at this point, someone you just can't pencil in anymore. And Scherzer are gone, then it changes. Like, there's so many different directions that the Nationals could go in, and it's just extremely fascinating to me to see what they do, because this is not a cynical organization. The Lerner family and Rizzo are very, very, like, we can piece it together. <laughs> Our farm system sucks. We can piece it together. They won a title. Not, like, they won a title in the last five years. Um... I am just so curious to see where they go. Um, what do you think happens in the next 48 hours in Washington? So, yeah, that that's a fascinating one to me because, like you said, this, the Nationals have never been a team before that's given up. The Learners have always – the Learners and, and, and Mike Rizzo have always, like you said, said we can make it work. We can piece it together. If nothing else, we don't want to sell because we just don't want to sell. I don't really think they have a choice here. I don't really see how they can avoid moving Scherzer if they have an opportunity because whatever whatever they get back is obviously going to beat whatever draft pick comes out of him rejecting a qualifying offer and signing somewhere else. Um, 
and this Nationals team, I mean, I, I, I think we've said it, I know I've said it a couple times this year, but I, I definitely think the window for this particular roster this season was kind of, it was closing, and now it definitely feels like it has closed. Like you, I'm super worried about uh, Strasburg. I, obviously, thoracic outlet syndrome is just about the worst injury a pitcher can suffer, or one of them. It is more or less a career killer. No one has really come back from it the same. A few guys have managed to come back in pieces, but none of them really at the, the, the same peak that they once were. So I'm very worried that Strasburg's career is effectively, if not over, about to enter a kind of Matt Harvey-esque stage that nobody really wants to see. So if you're the Nationals, you very clearly need to focus now on what the future looks like. I don't know why that future doesn't seem to include Trey Turner and all the talk that they're not interested in signing him to a contract extension. I do not understand that at all. But certainly you want to build around Soto. Ideally, you would build around Turner. You build around the rest of your farm system and what it's producing. And you bolster that farm system by moving Scherzer. So I think they kind of have to. I, I really don't think they have a choice here. For as much as I think the learners and Stan and Mike Rizzo would much rather finish the season with Max Scherzer and, and have him making his starts. And yeah, you still finish below 500, but at least you finish below 500 with Max Scherzer. No, nah, you can't really afford that at this point. You're not going to win the division barring something crazy happening. I, I definitely think the Phillies and Braves are at this point even are both better than the Nationals anyway. To say nothing of the Mets, where Scherzer goes, I understand like that that I West Coast idea. I think he would make sense on either of those three teams: the Dodgers, the Padres, or the Giants. Um, I can't really say I have a prediction there one way or the other. I I think that's just an impossible one to predict because he makes sense everywhere. It's just going to be a question of who's willing to pay the price, and I think that's. Yeah, that's that's kind of the that's the hard thing for for me to figure out is what is what does the price for Max Scherzer look like given that he is a free agent that he is 37 but on the other hand he is Max Scherzer and who is going to be willing to pay that price the most it does feel like it's going to be one of the West teams because I think they've all realized that one of that they need a separator and the Dodgers probably are in the best position overall because they have just have the best overall roster but the Padres so need him the most. I'm sorry? But the Padres need him the most. That's the interesting thing. Like they need I was, the, That's yeah. what I was going to wonder. It's like, do the Giants or the Padres need him more? I would say the, the Pods. I, I mean, I would say the Giants, if only because otherwise you're going into the postseason with Kevin Gaussman as your number one, and that's not bad, but Gaussman hasn't looked great since the All-Star break, and mm-hmm. certainly you'd much rather go into your... Especially if you're the Giants and you're heading for the wild card game, yeah. wouldn't you rather get their Max Scherzer starting that game than Kevin Gaussman? Well, it was more about like um, long-term playoff run implications for me, where the Padres' rotation with Paddock and everybody else—it's just been destroyed. And what Darvish has been post uh, Sticky Stuff ban—it's it, not good. So I, I guess that was more of my thing is like just how elite that offense is and adding Adam Frazier and I still am curious how this all works with Cronenworth and everything else, but um, they just, they're so good offensively and the bullpen is so good that I just think that's the last missing piece. I don't, I think the Giants have multiple missing pieces to winning the National League. I think Max Scherzer might be enough to push the pods over the top in the National League. Does yeah. that make sense? And that makes sense, especially because, like you said, like the the Padres are pretty well set everywhere. Whereas the Giants, I think, you know, maybe they end. Up, I know they've been in the in in rumors for for Chris Bryant. They just got. I just saw John Morosi tweet that they're interested in Trevor Story. Who do you, you like know, maybe, more for them? Maybe San Francisco would rather focus on the offense and figure pitching wise. We can do the playoff strategy of we get four or five innings out of our starter and then let the bullpen do the rest. And maybe they pick up. Maybe if they trade for Trevor Story, they add John Gray in there. Um, to get mm. an extra starter, to get some extra arms. So, 
And, and definitely of all the teams prospect-wise, I think the Padres probably have the most pieces to make a theoretical Scherzer deal work if, they, if the Nationals are asking for a lot because that farm system is still very, very strong even after all the trades they've made. The Dodgers, obviously, are, I, I feel like are the wild card here. You can easily see a world where they make the move. You can easily see a world where they go, eh, we're fine, we're getting Kershaw back. Kershaw, Bueller, Urias, Price is, is fine for the next two months in the postseason or, or whatever it happens to be. You know, or they maybe they're another team that makes a smaller kind of back of the rotation addition, um, just to be like, just to take some of the the weight off of Gonsolin and Price, who just have, you know, one needs to be stretched out, the other hasn't been particularly good. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I can see any of the three. I, I do think I agree that the Padres probably have the most need, and probably the best way to fill it because they don't really have any other needs uh, that they need to take care of necessarily. So. Yeah, it's it's gonna be fascinating though. I think Scherzer, I, I think he has to get moved though at this point. That's kind of the thing. If you're Farhan Zaidi, would you be concerned about the Chris Bryant like is open to returning to Chicago after the year? If you give up a lot of pieces for somebody like Bryant, no, I'm not, I'm not concerned about that because you have to understand like one way like it's unlikely you get an extension done with these guys, and it's more likely not that it's a rental. And if Bryant goes back to the Cubs, well, so be it. The whole point of getting Chris Bryant now is to help you win the World Series in 2020. Or, sorry, in 2021. You un- you know that he's prob- more likely than not not going to be part of the team in 2021 and 2022 and beyond. Does he make sense for the Giants for 2022 and beyond? Yeah, absolutely. He's their th- He'd be their third baseman of the future. He can play some outfield. You know, he's a he's a good, dependable bat in the, in the top of the order. But I, I don't think a team acquiring a rental can work on necessarily on those lines of we have to make sure that this is something for 2022 and beyond as well. Because then you just start you, you start making things too complicated, and at some point you just know you make the deal to make the team better and figure it out later. You know, And if, if Bryant is amenable to an extension without hitting the market, great, by all means, do it. I kind of have a hard time seeing that happen. I think he'd be more willing just to see what the price is anyway. But hey, maybe he's. But at the very least, and that's the other part of trading for a rental, even if you don't have plans to extend him. Let's say the Giants get Chris Bryant. He spends the two months in San Francisco. He loves it there. He loves his teammates. The Giants, you know, maybe they win the World Series. Maybe they make the playoffs and don't go far. But either way, he loves the experience. And that sells him on returning to San Francisco uh, in the offseason. That's the thing. You didn't have any plans on that happening. But at the, if nothing else, maybe all of the Cardinals with Paul Goldschmidt, you can sell him on this is the place where we will treat you right long term. You know, you you fit here. We want you here. And this is a fun place to be. Yeah. You know who's not involved in anything? I just I'm going through different stuff. and It's just the Cardinals are not doing anything. They're in a weird spot. They're not no, linked to anything. No, just had Nolan Arenado get hit on the on the arm and leave a game, so they may be in a in a particularly bad spot. Mm. I, I don't know what you do if you're the Cardinals, though. That's what I'm saying. That's why it's so interesting. Like I haven't seen a peep out of them. I, I just think there are too many holes for that team to fill. That any one deadline is going to be enough for them. I tend to agree. I just I'm curious to see if they do anything. They're they're sneaky. Yeah, I I, I mean if you look at the I don't know if you look at the current Cardinals and have to say okay if there's one area that the Cardinals absolutely must target to improve if they want to have any real chance of playoff contention, which they're also you know, they're below 500, they're not a particularly good team, they don't have a good off, or they're we're basically right at 500. Their playoff odds are about 4%, so they're pretty well down in it. I mean, I'd say, realistically, uh, maybe you make a move to, to get a new shortstop. I mean, maybe you're in the market for a Trevor Story to pair it with Arenado, that'd be fun, and you, you just bench Paul DeYoung. 
maybe you're in the move in the in the market for an outfielder to, to kind of reduce Dylan Carlson's playing time because that hasn't really worked out. I think you desperately need an extra starter uh, for that rotation, which Wade LeBlanc is currently your third starter, and that's just really not a good place to be. Um, I don't know. I, I, that's the thing, though. You look and you can see plenty of places where the Cardinals could use help. I know they're going to get Jack Flaherty back at some point, but that's coming off an oblique strain, and those things take time. Yeah, I, I don't know. The offense needs help. The rotation needs help. Um, you could certainly argue another another reliever would not be the worst addition uh, to that bullpen that doesn't really have a whole lot of consistency. I don't know. I I just feel like they're with the Brewers aside. I just think every every other NL Central team just has too many holes at this point. Hey, that's funny. I mentioned Yimmy Garcia as a trade possibility. Ken Rosenthal says the Astros are are, are close to getting him. So there you go. The Marlins sell off continues. And I'm not surprised that they want to move Yimmy. Um, that he's 30. He's had a, a better season, I think anyone expected. It's, I think it makes sense for Miami to sell high on him. But yeah, I, I think we're going to see the Marlins be a, a team that moves a lot of veteran pieces now. Um, last thing we'll wrap up here in this trade deadline episode of the podcast, John. Um, let's see. It's going to be. I was doing the math in my head of the hours. Let's just when we record next week. It will be after the trade deadline. Give me what you think is going to be the biggest, who, rather, is going to be the biggest player moved ahead of the deadline. Who would you guess right now? Biggest player moved ahead of the deadline, I I would guess it's Scherzer. Okay. Um, is he a bigger name than Bryant? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Scherzer's a number one for any rotation. Hmm. Bryant is a big, Bryant's a big deal. Um, but I still do believe that... Scherzer is a game changer for anyone who gets him because you're getting him as your new playoff number one starter if you make it that far. And that's a really, really big deal. Plus, it's Max Scherzer. He's got two Cy Youngs. He's going to the Hall of Fame. He's only 70-some strikeouts shy of 3,000 for his career. He's one of the greatest pitchers literally ever. Yeah, I I, I think it's Scherzer is the biggest name to move. Hmm. I'm going to say Shohei Yatani. No, I'm just kidding. But that would be great. (laughs) That would be something. Just uh, free one of them. That'd be nice. Free, free, free one of them. Free Shohei. Yeah, free, free Shohei. Um, Duvall, I just feel like it's gonna be a brave. It's gonna be my guess. What, what's your Red Sox one? Oh, we'll in there. What is your Red Sox prediction? I'll say the Braves trade for Duvall and maybe another starter. My Red Sox prediction is one way or another they get another first baseman. Uh, I just don't think they can keep living with the Bobby Dahlbeck experiment at this point. Um, I can see them getting another starter. I just, I. Just think if they did, it would be someone along kind of those Tyler Anderson levels. I, I don't really think they're going to get a number one type guy. Um, and I think there's also the question of, and I, I know my easy answer would be, I don't care. But, you know, with the rotation that already has Pavetta, Richards, Perez, um, who's the rest of that Red Sox rotation right now? Uh, they have Chris Sale coming back. They just have they just had Tanner Houck come up. I, I think their rotation is something where they're going to sit back and say between Houck and Sale... Um, those two give us depth and reinforcements and we don't really need to spend the prospect capital on someone like John Gray um, if he's just going to be basically a fifth starter to which my response would be he would be a way better fifth starter than Martin Perez but that he's also going to cost money and prospects and so I understand that that move is probably not going to happen um, I mean ideally would you like to get someone who is better or at least more reliable than uh uh, non-sticky stuffed Garrett Richards or Eduardo Rodriguez or Perez, sure. Are the Red Sox going to do that? 
I kind of doubt it. I think they are just going to say, screw it, between Hulk and Sale, we'll be fine. Mm. Uh, I think they're more likely to focus on getting a first baseman at the very least, and ideally a second baseman, but I think they might just try to staple second base together between Christian Arroyo and Marwin Gonzalez and whoever else happens to be around and works. Mm. Okay. There you go. Um, John Taylor, always a pleasure. Yes. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.